Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. For our longtime listeners, you are used to my intro. Uh, for the first-time listeners, you'll get to hear it for the first time. Our mission at Jew in the City is to break down stereotypes about the Orthodox Jewish community, show examples of people and hobbies and careers and um, struggles through faith, uh, that you don't hear about so often in the traditional media. Um, we often hear of the people that fell out of it or the people that had horrible experiences. And those people are entitled to their stories and their journeys um, and to get the word out. But we're here to tell all the good stories that are happening, all the people that are finding ways to combine their interests and their passions within the boundaries of halacha, all the people that struggle but find faith you know, in the struggle and uh, and hold fast and dear to their uh, traditions. So this week is no different than what we normally do. And, um, you know, we like to show people being creative. I think um, maybe there's an idea, maybe because there's a lot of black and white that we associate with the Orthodox community because of the lavush of the wardrobe of members, more of the Haredi ultra-Orthodox world that, Maybe there's not so much of an understanding that there's room for color and there's room for creativity and there's room for self-expression, but um, I happen to think it's a very holy thing. We've talked about it before. We've had other musicians and composers on the show before, um, and today we have joining with uh, joining us a woman who actually is a gra- graduate of Juilliard, which is very impressive, um, and she is a Balas Chuva. Her name is Francisca Kay. Uh, she has completed her third solo album, Misha Beirach. She toured with an award-winning group, Ilanit, an instrumentally accompanied singer, Rachel Factor, formerly on Broadway. She started playing piano at six, started composing and learning guitar at 10. She graduated with a bachelor's in business while attending Juilliard, and she's continuing her studies in music individually and teaching her own students. Um, Music is a fundamental part of her life. She's an Orthodox Jew and is inspired by the meaningful words of psalms and prayers which she's able to express herself through her inner passion for composition. She loves to sing, teach, and bring happiness to others' lives. Francesca, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Allison, for this awesome introduction. Thanks for having me on the show. So um, if you could tell us a little bit about um, how, since we know that I announced already that you uh, did not start off observant, tell us a little bit about where you grew up, um, and what your Jewish background looked like growing up. Sure. So I don't know um, how the the bio you just went through, um, where it was tweaked, but um, there are a few details that are just, I'll mention them. I grew up in Moscow, which makes, which might make people assume I'm a Balchuva, but I actually grew up in a rabbi's family who moved to Moscow in 1989 to do Kira. Oh. Wait, okay, so fine, wait, so then, um, so I, right, I, I guess I just made up. up then since I saw Russia. Okay, wait, fine, so how did, how, <laughs> how is the family religious then? Where did they come from? Because people, weren't they secular in Russia, so, or were they religious the whole time? This is fascinating to me. So, uh, my parents um, moved to Israel when they got married. My mother's from Muncie, New York, and my father's Swiss. Um, and then after they lived in Israel for a few years, they moved to Moscow for one year. Um, it was 1989, just about when all the people who did have anything to do with Yiddishkeit left uh, the former Soviet Union, hmm. because that was the first time they could actually get out. 
So the Shiva in Moscow, uh, in Kuntsova, recruited my parents to come and sort of bring some a new Jewish life back to Moscow for the people who are completely unaffiliated or who didn't leave. So my parents uh, built a community basically from scratch. My mother founded the school. My father uh, is the rabbi there. They still currently live there. And that was a huge part of who I am and my upbringing. And... And what is it like, I'm saying, what what is it like being an observant Jew in Russia, or I'm saying especially at the late 80s, early 90s, were you allowed to be outwardly Jewish? Was there any amount of hiding that you had to do, or, you know, praying in secret, or, you know, kosher, kind of under, you know, on on the down low? So at that point, it was completely allowed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem was that uh, no one was around there who was interested. Anyone who had anything to do with Judaism sort of tried to leave. So mm-hmm. we were working, my parents were working with um, a crowd that had no affiliation. So they would show up to shul for the first time. It was allowed for the first time. They People were so interested because it was something that was forbidden first. Uh, so it was a whole new era in in history, which mm. made it, um, in a way, super easy to attract people to to Judaism. And then after so, you got to Israel at a certain point, right? You left to go to seminary in Israel. Correct. So tell us a little I, about I you know, where you stayed. Okay, sure. So I um, I finished school when I was fifteen. And I went to seminary in Mechola. And what about it exactly would you like me to share? Oh, no, I'm just sort of curious. You know, now that I I actually find it extra cool that you're from from birth and that that you have this background in music, because I think a lot of times, at least maybe it's my own bias, people that have more the creativity and self-expression are doing it as Bali Chuva. Um, All right, so... I see you here from your bio also. So you went from uh, seminary to Toro, um, and then where did where did the Juilliard come in? How how did you manage that with your your other studies? Okay, so uh, right before I get to that, I just wanted to elaborate more on the creative part. And um, so Russia has the rich, extremely rich arts culture, the ballet, the music scene there. So my mother, coming from a super creative and artsy family, um, had to take every opportunity and fill our schedule with lessons. Also, because a lot of the children in in our school weren't religious, I couldn't necessarily go to their homes. So my mother really focused a lot on filling up all the extracurricular time with activities. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, I attended music school as a kid. I started the actual music school program when I was 12, and it was about four to six hours a week. I had private lessons in piano, guitar, solfeggio, music theory, and we had exams. Did you also play violin, or did I make that one up? Guitar and piano. 
Got it. Okay, fine. So that's the other string. The guitar and wait, the you mentioned that your mother is from a super creative family from Muncie. Was she raised more yeshivish or was Muncie when she was there not as yeshivish? So Muncie definitely became more yeshivish now. Okay. Um, by super creative, uh, my grandparents and great-grandparents just had their visions and they would, you know, create them. So however that came about. Got it. I... I wouldn't say my grandmother or great-grandmother had, you know, the classic jobs like today you have teachers and physical therapists and social workers. They were more in design and art, hmm. education, volunteering. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of that women empowerment. So what did you, what, what drew you to, maybe you just have the artistic gene and it's just uh, runs through you, but what drew you to music um, as something that became a passion? Because some people get put in piano lessons or guitar lessons and they quit pretty quickly. So what made you want to keep on going? So it's a good question. Um, So naturally I tell, uh, I tell the students, and the, uh, the parents of my students that, you know, you don't have to be into music to actually do it, and you have the 10,000-hour pro- professional rule that if you do anything for over 10,000 hours, you'll become a professional, even if right. you have no talent. I've met tons of musicians who can't, who are, who, who won awards for for their playing or and other talents and who can't keep a tune. So just because, so so that brings me to why, um, how I started and I continued with my music. First of all, the encouragement and support I got from my family and friends mm-hmm. really was enough to just keep me going. And uh, starting to write my own music was really the turning point mm-hmm. because it was something that gave me an edge, something that was different, something that I created that nobody else. If I don't create that music, no one else is going to create it for me. Mm-hmm. So that really became a self-motivational project. And people ask me, why do I keep working on my next album and my next album don't have enough? But it, the music just keeps coming and I need to keep writing. And that's what, that, that just what keeps me going. So, Is it a spiritual experience for you is it a spiritual experience for you to um, make music and to create music? I didn't hear you. Could you repeat that? Sorry. Oh, sure. Is it is it a spiritual experience for you to make music and create music? So, it's definitely an emotional experience. Spiritual. Um, spiritual. I, I, it's hard to differentiate sometimes between spiritual and emotional, but it's always it always has a connection with my emotions. Mm-hmm. So I won't necessarily write sometimes when I'm feeling, you know, so great and inspired. Sometimes it's because I'm feeling anxious or other feelings. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a combination of the environment, of what's going on in my life, so I guess you can call it spiritual. Uh, you know, I'm asking because I just saw on my has- plane ride back, I just spoke in uh, Europe a couple weeks ago, on my plane ride back, I watched a movie of this Indian math genius. He was like 
um, what Mozart was to music, he was to math. And he mentioned that the equations just came, came to him and um, sort of putting them on paper and sort of seeing how they came out of him, like sort of connected him to, to God that, you know, he sort of felt like he was connected. I don't know, which I found to be very profound, um, the elegance of math. And I'm wondering, you know, if these songs come to you and you feel sort of the need to share them with the world, if there's any sort of a sense of, you know, kind of having something come down from above. Um, now can you tell us about uh, Juilliard a little bit, what what that was like being in Juilliard as an Orthodox Jew? I mean, this is really one of the top music schools out there. I'm not sure how many other Orthodox Jews have been there. What, what was that experience like? Sure. So um, I, I was in the evening division of Juilliard. I did that uh, part-time when I was in Turo College, and uh, I was exposed to being uh, in the non-Jewish music education world in Moscow as well. So it wasn't a new environment for me to be with musicians who who obviously perform every Saturday and who obviously would never reject an opportunity to perform somewhere for any reason. You don't have these kind of excuses in the talent business in general. Yeah. So, so it was extremely normal for me to have the same issues, like I could only take a class that's on certain days and, um, you know, explaining why you don't have access to technology on Shabbos and uh, however, trying to elaborate more on I, I didn't find it so different from what mm-hmm. I was exposed to already. It was super cool going through those doors, though. Yeah. You know, it's at Lincoln Square, it's the most amazing experience to be in a place full, filled with so much talent. So it was and how, how did they respond to your, to your needs of, you know, I can't play on this day, I can't answer my phone on that day? Was there understanding or was it kind of like, what's this about? So they're definitely understanding, and I registered for the classes I was able to take in my time. The evening division also is not is not their part of their regular programs where uh, where you're ended and you're expected to perform certain places. The evening division is is there for part time people for for people who are going back to music later on in life or. So it was a big mix of people who needed flexibility. So I chose a program that would work with my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What about the topic of Kolisha? How do you how do you handle you know um, I guess that that halacha? It's it's obviously a unique challenge when you are given a talent like this and there are limitations. How how do concerts look? Um, do you have any thoughts about someone who struggles with it? About kind of how I guess if you've made peace with it, or at least you know are. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that it's easy. Um, but if you have any thoughts about it, so it's very true that it's it's always there. It's like the big elephant in the room. Yeah. Whenever I say what I do, um, but it's it. So Koisha is really uh, the forbidden aspect of it is on the man, not on the woman. 
Mm-hmm. So, and then the only men who have that prohibition are Jewish men. So, mm-hmm. working with non-Jewish men has never been an issue for me because they mm-hmm. don't have that prohibition. So that mm-hmm. made it much easier in terms of, you know, studio work or collaborating with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of performances and um, marketing to my audience, super hard because the main competition really are not the other women in the industry. Mm-hmm. It's the men who are invited to all the potential venues to perform. Mm-hmm. And even even if you find a family who has, you know, only girls in their family, they mm-hmm. still won't put on your CD in their car on their family trip because they have the father in the car. So... That that's the biggest obstacle, really. Wait, but let's just clarify for a second. I'm saying there there are some people. I'm saying there is a an opinion that you can listen to a recorded female voice. So I'm saying like there must be some of the market that would would listen to you. Know. So definitely, you have the people who are who consider recorded voices uh, not real, which yeah. I completely. Um, if I had to confirm that, it's absolutely true. If anyone ever participates in the studio session, they would see how much is, um, how much uh, happens, what happens to the voice while it's being used through all the sound systems. Mm -hmm. So you're really not listening to the actual voice Mm -hmm. like you would be in a a live venue. Right. And I think also part um, of it is... All the people who do listen to my music, thank you so much for your support. And, um... I'd also sing, um, like, singing at a Shabbos table with other people. You have that heteros of the, of the street age with, um, you know, three or more people singing. Right. So there are ways around it. You, you, it would be too sad if, you'd be, if there was nothing. And some people, especially Balchuvas, for them it's easier to say, you know, it's either everything or nothing. How could you find the medium? But, you know, balance is really where where something could last. So if someone really has huge talent out there and they say when they become religious that they'll just give it all up, Yeah, I, I, I feel very sad because I feel like it won't last. It might bring resentment back. It's not in one year, two years, in 25 years. Right. So there are ways to channel this. There are venues. There's so much that can be done today, so much more than, you know, even 20, 30 years ago. So we're really in a new industry. It's a new movement. There's so many new opportunities. So do you you have any advice for, um, the you know, the woman that's becoming more observant and is a singer, or the young from girl that's got a great voice and wants to figure out how she can do something with. Do you recommend making a career out of this? Like, how would you sort of recommend um, traversing this middle road of being in line with halacha and still using the the talents that Hashem gave you? So my. My genuine advice really is follow your dreams. Definitely continue and surround yourself with people who support it because if you don't have the support of the people, like when you write a song or you 
have a new creation and you, you don't get that feedback from the people around you, it's very easy to stop doing and creating. So that's super important. But making a career out of, you know, the arts and music in general, right now I feel like uh, the female audience, the Jewish female audience, isn't strong enough to support female musicians. Uh, it's hard enough as it is for the male musicians who hustle and go to weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, so my genuine advice really is to find a day job that works for you. It could be, it could be connected to what you're doing. It could be running a studio. It could be, uh, you know, you could be a producer, a teacher, um, or you can completely go and do something in a whole different area of business. Um, but right now, the only way to continue with the arts is to have something else that's going to pay for it, just because counting on the music to support you is its not... I mean, without teaching, without making it a job, it's not a viable option. So that's just a realistic approach. Do you have any thoughts about what the community can do to better support female singing talents? Like, as I'm listening to you here, you know, I think sort of what has happened at You in the City over the course of our existence is that we want to break down the stereotypes, we show the positive stories, and then as we're exploring things, we find along the way some challenges that are in the community itself. And now we've gotten sort of into some advocacy and wondering, like, what can we do to, you know, kind of make things better? Um, even as things are getting better, how do we get even better than that? Any thoughts on how, you know, the community could make uh, it easier for, for girls and, and young women to be able to, you know, go after this talent and passion of theirs? So I'm so happy you asked that because it's so close to me. It's what I'm involved with now all the time. So there are a few things. I would love to see a record label or something like a record label um, available, created for the for the women in the Jewish arts. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a huge thing. Um, just to, there's no di- distribution channel right now for the females out there in the Jewish arts. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't just go and get an album published with and sent out to all the stores. It's extremely, mm-hmm. it's it, it's hard for the men, but for mm-hmm. the women, it's almost it's it's like triple the triple the work. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the challenge. Those would be. It's also another mission of the Jewish camps and schools. Um, I mean, the camps primarily um, invite male singers as their entertainers, but that's really a perfect venue for female uh, entertainers to come and show their talents. Because so you're saying at, at girls camps. camps? What? Right. You're saying at girls camps? Girls camps or women's programming. Right. It's it almost makes me sad sometimes when you have a male singer come to comes to a girls' camp because you have the girls who are, um, you know, told not to dance and sing along because you have a male singer, and then right. on the other hand, it, the women should be performing there because they can't uh-huh. go anywhere else. 
So I, I don't want to sound bitter. I'm not. I'm just saying there's so much opportunity. Right. And, but there are all these blocks and obstacles that are keeping the women from getting there. I think the only way to really um, make this something greater is to unite the women because we're not competitors here. We're all working with the same audience. We just need to join them together, and we have to work together really to make this happen. I'm thinking so. if we can maybe have some sort of like a section on our new website where female performers can be listed and we can encourage our followers to consider this as an option because we have a very engaged and large following and this might be a way to give this a start. So maybe we're going to stick something on our new site and just let artists, female artists um, who do not perform in front of men list themselves um, so we they, they can be known and we can suggest, you know, have an all-girls space. I think Bulletproof Stockings kind of got this idea out a little bit that, you know, their women-only events are a chance for sort of girls to jam out and, you know, kind of let loose together without, um, you know, men being there and sort of restricting them. Um, and I think that's great messaging, but um, it should only go further. Um, we're just going to wrap up, uh, you know, in a couple of minutes now. Um if you could tell me a little bit about like some of the, the recent stuff that you've put out and anything new that you're working on. Sure. So thank you so much, by the way, for offering to, you know, help in this, in this journey for all of us. And I, I hope this is the beginning of future big things for the Jewish arts community. Um, uh, so I'm currently working on my fifth album now. I'm in the studio a lot. Uh, there will be the Atara Conference, which is the Association of Arts and Torah in Baltimore in a week and a half where I'll be performing. So I'm preparing for that. And um, we actually... Uh, so I'm always looking and considering new music video projects. Mm-hmm. And we came up with this cool idea. We had this dance collaboration music video to one of my songs from my second album. It's the Godola. It's a very hip-hop beat. And we got dancers from all over, you know, from dancers who wouldn't want their music video necessarily posted um, anywhere public. Mm -hmm. So we're going to show that video at the conference and then Mm. post it on a few exclusively female Facebook groups also. But nice. this is really giving them a platform to all dance and be part of a project. Um, so that was super fun and exciting because I got to meet a lot of women who didn't know about me and I didn't know about them. And they're dancing. They have studio dance studios, and they're all so involved in the arts. So I, that's super exciting. And... Um, I just love being in the studio and recording my new music because it inspires me to create new music. You know, we're actually, we're actually running low on time now, and I want to I want to be able to um, give our listeners who do listen to uh, female voices uh, recorded. So that's the the Cole Isha um, warning right now. If you're a man that does not listen to recorded voices, you can hit the pause button right about now. Um, so before we run out of time, I want to give uh, our listeners a chance to hear a little sample of your newest music video, which they can find on YouTube, Generations Go and Generations Come. And um, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. I hope it has inspired some of our listeners at home to 
remember that they can have big dreams and sort of figure out how to find that middle of the road balance. And I hope we'll be able to partner with you and other female artists to help them find a space to be able to express themselves creatively and still, you know, remain within um, a happy halachic uh, lifestyle. So thank you so much. Thank you, Allison. Thank you. It was such an honor. And you can catch us same time, same place next week. And we're going to close it out with Francesca Kay's Generations Go and Generations Come. Thank you.